a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Control of Congress. Which party takes the upper hand in Congress? Special coverage on Inside Sources March to the Midterms. Yeah, we are marching to the midterms and ahead of the midterms. Of course, everyone's trying to figure out how do you predict what the results are going to be. We often look to swing states and even swing districts to get some indication in terms of what that might look like. What if I told you there was actually a a county uh, that could be maybe the best predictor of uh, what happens in our politics? Uh, Really thrilled to have joining us on the program today. Uh, Kathy Gilson, uh, who is a contributing writer at The Atlantic. Uh, she's also a political magazine contributor, a uh, contributing editor, excuse me, uh, based in St. Louis. And she's also the author of The Helpers, Profiles from the Frontlines of the Pandemic, part of some really important writing and reporting there as well. Uh, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, loved your piece in Politico uh, because this is an obscure county in Wisconsin. We always talk about Wisconsin being purple or a swing state. Uh, you, you've gone to a, a county there that seems to be really good at telling us where things really are. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, well, I wanted to find a way to write about Wisconsin because, as, as you say, uh, we reporters like to cover swing states to figure out which way the elections are going to go. Um, and it turns out that there's a county in Wisconsin called Sauk County. It's north of Madison um, that is among the swingiest counties in the swingy states. It's one of only two counties in the entire state that swung from Obama to Trump and then to Biden. Um, and so and it and it has a it has a reputation for picking winners even within the state. Um, and it and it's just it's very very closely divided, which mirrors the close divides in Wisconsin as a whole. Uh, that's so interesting, uh, and I like the term the uh, swingiest county in the swingiest state. Uh, so Sock, <laughs> so you said that Sock County has uh, picked the the winner in the presidential race ten out of eleven in, in the last presidential race. What is it about this county uh, that uh, has caused them? I think those swings are so interesting. Went for Obama. Yeah. Uh, when President Obama was in, went for President Trump, now went for President Biden. Uh, that Those are some pretty massive swings. Yeah. And so this is always, in fact, so reporters always go to these swing states to try and figure out where where the election's going to swing. And then we never actually find out ahead of time, right? Because <laughs> everything is so contingent. And so when I asked, when, when I asked this one woman who owns a bar and restaurant in Sauk County, you know, okay, what's the deal with Sauk County? What's the... She said she's been interviewed by so many journalists and everybody wants to know the secret sauce. But basically, the code is uncrackable. And she pointed out, look, you know, like Trump won this dis- won this county 
by 100 plus votes. Mm. A county of 60,000 people by 100 plus votes in 2016, then lost it by 600 something votes in 2020. So these are not margins that lend themselves to sort of sweeping conclusions. Um, But one thing that I can tell you, just based on conversations with officials from both parties, is that they just really are depending on turnout, right? There's no there's no natural strength for either party in the county. You know, it contains liberal tourist towns and some spillover, which is a which is a college town, essentially, plus the state capital, but also some, you know, strong farming communities, strong manufacturing communities that tend to lean more right. Um, and it's really officials in both parties said it's really going to come down to who turns out. Yeah. And so interesting. Uh, you uh, point out in your piece that uh, that many of the folks you spoke to don't really feel like either party's uh, getting anything that actually represents what's going on in their house or in their business. Yeah, this is the other thing that that came up a lot uh, in Wisconsin and also, honestly, in reporting I've done across the Midwest, which I cover for Politico, that, you know, when you're a political reporter going into these places and you say, like, oh, what do you think about the midterms? What's what's the deal with the midterms? How is everything affecting you? Most people just don't care and they just want people to go to Washington and do their jobs and try to make things a little bit better. And what's happening, especially in places like Wisconsin, which are very closely divided, you end up not getting a moderating influence from the from the division of the parties. But because both parties are really trying to activate that core base of supporters and attract turnout, uh, you end up getting extremes in both parties. So Wisconsin, for example, has the most polarized Senate delegation. Mm. It has one of the most progressive members of the Senate in Tammy Baldwin and one of the least progressive members of the Senate, most conservative members of the Senate in Ron Johnson, who's up this year. Um, and so and because these are really competitive elections, you know, a guy who works at a place called Wisconsin Metals told me, quote, it feels like we're being punished for something because these poor people are being subjected to $344 million worth of political advertising before this whole thing is over with. So spare a prayer for our brothers and sisters in Wisconsin. Yeah, no kidding. We uh, we moan and complain a little bit here in Utah when uh, it starts to get a little bit nasty. It's like nobody's seen $344 million of uh, negative no ads idea. coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we will offer up a little prayer for our friends in Wisconsin today, to, to be sure. Uh, so as, as as you look at it, uh, marching forward, uh, I, I do think it's so interesting that because often we do we we talk about purple uh, as it mm. as that swing state dynamic, but in many cases it's really not purple. It's just really deep blue and really deep red. There's not a whole lot of space in the middle. Yeah, there's a bunch of different ways that people have tried to explain Wisconsin because it's one of, you know, it's one of few really genuine swing states left. You know, we have we have our red America, we have our blue America, and then there there are not that many states that are actually really heavily contested every election. And Wisconsin right. is one of them. Um, and, and people have tried to explain it as well. You know, it's not purple. It's two states, really. It's a red state and a blue state. I've seen I've seen an explanation of it that actually, no, it's seven states. And I forget what all the seven states are. Um, and but the truth is, like I did talk to, I think there are a lot of hardcore red voters, a lot of hardcore blue voters. But a lot of the people I talk to just don't consider themselves to be anybody's base. Mm. They think politics is kind of annoying, and they think the extremes of either side are part of the problem, and they just really wish they could have civilized political conversations. Yeah. Um, I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We we fully support that. Uh, we are we are equal yeah, opportunity yeah, offenders on uh, on this front, and uh, <laughs> uh, and believe we've got to get to something different. And so many of those, I, I wanted to ask you this, Kathy, that uh, I think there's a lot of those that are just exhausted by the extremes of both yeah. and and all of that, and they they do want to have they want to talk about principles and policy solutions, uh, and it seems that many of them have sort of disconnected from it, and it seems like. Unless somebody really starts talking about community and compassion and self-reliance and, and upward mobility, you know, things they're talking about around the dinner table, uh, it, it doesn't seem like they're really going to come back in droves uh, and, until somebody actually does that. Yeah, I, and I, I honestly don't – I don't know the answer to that because I think that there is a, a school of thought that has yielded results that is that you activate – voters by playing on their fears right Mm -hmm. so yes there's love and community and all this good stuff but you know okay i like that stuff but is that really going to cause me to take time off work whereas if somebody's telling me i'm trying to take away your freedom i'm trying to change your way of life i'm you know i'm an extremist in this direction or that direction or whatever um a lot of people get activated i mean certainly i do i don't know about other people but a lot of people get activated to vote against somebody you know, yep. yeah. <laughs> so it's not even everybody wants to hear the positive message. I just don't know what political consultants are telling their people about what actually does turn out voters. And I suspect the consultants, even though it might be bad for the country, could be right in terms of what turns out voters. Yeah. And that and that thirty three hundred and forty four million dollars of spending is good for the consultants <laughs> to, to yeah. be sure. Yeah, no disrespect. You know, some of my best friends are consultants. Yeah. No disrespect, but. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we have to make sure as, as voters that we stop rewarding bad behavior. Uh, I, I think that's part of what yeah. we do because it's clearly, to your point, it it is clearly working. And uh, I've said, you know, you can you can win an election on what you're against and anger, fear, frustration, all of those things, but it doesn't mean you can lead. And I think that's uh, why we're seeing that lack yeah. of leadership because we keep electing or rewarding the bad behavior of the the performative politics. Yeah, and you see this in issue-related polling too, right? There's mm. all of us in the in the media and establishment sort of wring our hands about, oh, look at all this declining trust in institutions. I don't know if you have these numbers at your fingertips, but I think Gallup has measured this for decades and decades. And American trust is institution in institutions is at a really low point. And at some point, we have to stop saying, like, Americans are wrong about that and look to the behavior of our actual institutions. You know what I mean? But then on the other hand, okay, how do we shape the behavior of our institutions? Well, it's by voting and, as you say, not rewarding this bad behavior. Yeah. Uh, Great insight. But then Uh, on the third hand, who's left, right? Like, (laughs) if uh, if it's only, (laughs) like, who are you going to vote for? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a real it's a conundrum. It is a conundrum. Uh, and it's one that I think uh, is going to start with. I don't think it's going to come from the top. I don't think it's going to 
come from our friends in the political consulting class. We do love them, too. Uh, but we are praying for the people <laughs> of Wisconsin who are enduring that. Uh, but I think it's going to be a we the people issue that uh, we finally get it right. Uh, Kathy gilson uh contributing writer at The Atlantic. She's also a Politico magazine contributing editor and a great thinker. A great piece, Kathy. And thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to Thank having you, you back soon. Thanks so much. Have a good one. All right. Uh, we'll step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, uh, more on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Stick around. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.